Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, we are tackling a topic that was suggested by one of our listeners, and they were interested in going all in, which uh, in looper terms means, you know, you're selling everything, selling the house, selling the cars, selling the kids, um, and moving on board full time. Um, And there are certain things that kind of go hand in hand with that. So we've covered a lot of these over the years on Great Loop Radio and as, as full topics. Um, But what we thought we would do is kind of condense that into just kind of the high level points that if you're thinking about going all in, these are some of the things you can consider. And then if it's something you're looking for more information on, you can look in the archives for the full coverage of that topic. Or if we get a lot of feedback about one of the particular points, we can do a new episode about that. Um, And and one of the reasons we're tackling it this way is because it's kind of challenging to find a guest who really has experience on the various different things we're going to talk about today. So I'm going to be joined by Scott and Karen Duvall. They have been my guests before. They are gold loopers who now run Capable Cruising. And in that business, they train others for the Great Loop. So they talk to lots of people who are getting ready to do the Great Loop. And, you know, whether those people are going all in or, you know, considering it downsizing, a lot of these concerns are the same. So Scott and Karen and I are going to talk through some of the things that you should consider as you're making that decision to go all in. Um, And then we can expand upon that in the future as needed. But before we officially bring Scott and Karen in, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. So Scott and Karen Duvall, welcome back to Great Loop Radio. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for, thank having, you for us. having us. Yeah, and um, you know, it's kind of an interesting topic. It's, it's pretty broad. It covers a lot of ground, and we're going to do that today. Um, but tell us a little bit, you know, I, I said in the intro that you are gold loopers. Um, you train others for the Great Loop as, as a business now. Um, but tell us, you know, when you set out for the Loop, was your intention to go all in at that time, or were you thinking at that time that you might return to your dirt home, so to speak? Um, we, we did not figure we were going to be living in Bordeaux five, five years later. No, <laughs> uh, we, we sold our, our, our home because it wasn't the home we were going to retire. Home. Um, so we thought we'd downsize and uh, we did put a bunch of stuff in a storage unit that we apparently didn't need. And um, if you can avoid doing that, if you decide you're going to go all in, um, uh, we had a lot of stuff. And two years ago, we went back to that storage unit and basically emptied it out. Yes. And I hear that a lot. And, and you know, in, in your terms, you really did go all in because you did have a dirt home that you didn't intend to return to. So for the period of time you were looping, uh, that was, in effect, your only residence, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And, you know, it was really um, very nice to not have to worry about things back at home that we were very free on the loop. So it turned it turned out to be a very positive thing for us. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's so interesting to hear you talk about that storage unit because just here in Fort Myers right now, there are so many loopers that have been talking about, I guess, because they're a little bit more stationary during the winter months. Um, Mm -hmm. Lots of people going home to clean out that storage unit that they filled up with the things that they were going to (laughs) need. And now they're going, well, we don't really need any of that stuff. We've been aboard for long enough that we have figured out that 
you know, this is right sized for us. And even if we go back to our dirt home, the stuff in storage maybe is not as critical. And we're, we're going to definitely talk a little bit more about the stuff because that certainly is one of the topics. Um, but let's kind of start, if you can, with kind of the medical concerns, because of course, all, you know, loopers are generally reaching a certain age where we've got medical issues and things that we need to consider. So, uh, you know, one big question that I hear a lot is what do we do about our health insurance? So, um, and I know that's different depending on what age you're at, but tell us a little bit about what you did with your health insurance or what you are hearing from other loopers that they are doing when they're kind of, you know, eliminating that home address. I'm going to answer this one because um, my whole career I was dealing in medicine and having to deal with insurances. And the key thing that you need to know is that you have out-of-state coverage. There's some HMOs that are regional and you can only use the regional doctors or you have very limited coverage outside of those. That pertains both to uh, Medicare supplement and regular insurance. <coughs> Pardon me, if they need a doctor. <laughs> so um, just make sure you know if you have that open enrollment, if you're in that Medicare, that you choose one that you can have more freedom to go out of state. Also understand your insurance policy. Um, there's participating and non-participating, and whether you have coverage in or out of the I mean out of the country. Um, those are just, just ask questions. If you don't understand what's covered, call and talk to one of your representatives and make sure you understand that before you maybe are out of the country and find out you've got no coverage. Maybe you can add a a rider for that coverage. And that's, that's great advice. And I think that's going to be a theme that is recurring throughout today's discussion is talk to some experts on each of these things. So, you know, at the very least, we can kind of point out where you might need assistance. Um, But that's a great point, Karen, because a lot of folks say, well, if you're old enough for Medicare, this isn't an issue. Um, And I wasn't aware that depending on your Medicare supplement or things like that, that you may still not have nationwide coverage. Now, you know, there's emergency coverage, which is generally Always. a little bit easier um, than kind of routine care. And, and so that's, you know, something you probably need to work out with your medical professionals. Um, but prescriptions wise, um, and also, you know, dealing with doctors and dentists and things like that, are you finding that there are more options now since the pandemic and so much more was done remotely? Um, You know, are you finding that folks are traveling home for those routine appointments or are they able to do more by telemedicine? How are the two of you handling it these days? Well, we've switched all our doctors down here, but for those that um, I think they can eliminate, potentially eliminate a trip home if they can do it, if their doctor is willing to do a televisit. The first thing I would recommend is you get an appointment with your family doctor or your primary care physician right before you leave or anybody else. If you're dealing with a cardiologist that writes prescriptions for those particular medicines, anybody that writes you prescriptions, and sometimes it's a combination of different specialists, make sure you get an appointment with each of them right before you leave. 
explain to them what you're doing, explain the remoteness of some of the areas that you're in and that you really would like to have a 90-day prescription instead of a 30-day prescription. Those, those prescriptions need to be written for 90 days in order for you to get a 90-day prescription. Um, if they're written for 30 and you say, I want three months worth, that's not going to fly with the insurance company. Our insurance at the time when we took off would not allow us a 90-day prescription. But when I called them and told them what I was doing, that I wasn't near a pharmacy every 30 days that I might need to pick it up, they made a special, um, a special exception for that. One of my prescriptions, they said, we do want you to pay three separate co-pays, however. You can get 90 days, but you have to pay a co-pay for each one which was fine. I just didn't want to have to chase to the pharmacy every time it it turned around. Um, Also, depending upon your medical conditions, your doctor may or may not need to see you during the next year. I mean, he or talk to them about, can I just get my blood pressure taken periodically when I get it and, and turn those numbers in and then just do a televisit or just just turn those numbers in and continue on. So it's really going to be up to your medical conditions and whether your doctor is going to let you go whole year without seeing him. Fortunately, we were both pretty healthy at the time. So as far as the dentist was concerned, we made sure we had appointments just before we left to have our teeth cleaned and to have an exam. And we both got the blessing to skip that six-month appointment and just come back in a year. And that worked out very well for us. Um, Eye doctor is another thing that you should probably have an appointment just before you go. This one, you're going to want to do the appointment several months before you leave on your trip. Because if you do need a new prescription, uh, it takes a little while to get those glasses in um, or your lenses in. And then if they're not just right, you may sometimes they have to send them back a couple of times I also recommend you get, if you need prescriptions, is to have a prescription sunglasses. Um, You're spending a lot of time out on the water, and uh, you definitely want to have that eye protection. Um, Talk to your eye doctor, though, about the distance for your readers, for those of us, most of us have a readers. Um, That distance on your reader... um, it's not so much a power as it is the power determines the distance. So you'd want to know how far your chart plotter is away from where you're sitting so that he can adjust that reader for you. and You can see well, and then I needed to have cat scans along the way testing. Um, I used the Harbor host to find out where to go for those and that, Mm -hmm. and the doctor would order them at other facilities and it worked very well. So Lots of great advice in there. It sounds like really a little bit of due diligence is necessary. And, you know, uh, for myself, um, I've tried the 90-day prescription and the insurance company rejected it. But it's great to hear, Karen, that you were successful in calling the insurance company and explaining what you were doing. Um, Because, you know, none of us really likes to have to deal with the insurance company um, because it is usually a huge bureaucracy. But in the end, it's going to be a lot easier and and less time-consuming to do that than to try and pick up a prescription every three months. So great advice in there and great to hear that you were successful with making that happen. And it's important that the script is written for 90 days. That makes a world of difference. Yes. Um, And also the, you know, the um, eye prescriptions, something I hadn't thought of and absolutely on the waterway. um, 
any vision issues you have, particularly seeing distance, are going to be really obvious when you're out there trying to, um, you know, read the the height of a bridge on a board that's in front of it, or um, you know, the name <laughs> of the boat in front of you, so that you can hail them on the VHF. So um, definitely. Karen knows what she's talking about on that. That's something that's going to be really helpful. Um, and, and it really comes down to it. We've, we've said it already, but the bottom line is, you know, work with your professionals on all of these things. Um, get them to understand what you're doing, because once they do, they're probably going to be able to help you arrange these situations. Um, but another thing that people worry about um, is their vehicles. So if you are going all in or even just going to be gone for a year, if you're selling your house and, and know you may want a vehicle when you come back, um, you know, there's all kinds of issues that surround that from, you know, storage to registration of the vehicle. What did you do um, when you were leaving for the year and selling your house? What did you do with your vehicles? We, we kept a, a vehicle and we happened to have a, a friend that had a barn that we allowed us to store it in. Could have, could have been a storage unit as well. Uh, we kept full coverage on it. That way we were covered uh, using courtesy cars or uh, rental cars. We didn't have to worry about purchasing mm-hmm. insurance for that. I do know, I, at least I've heard of uh, non-owners auto policies. Um, I don't know how easy those are to come by. You'd have to talk to your insurance company to see if they even have that policy yeah. where you don't own a car and yet they cover you. And it was nice to have that car there when we did fly home to see family. You didn't have to rely on family members to cart you around. That was nice to have a, have a, a car in storage. Yeah. And, and what Scott mentioned, uh, you know, if you are truly going all in and really don't think you're returning to a land-based home, um, if you decide to sell any or all of your vehicles, um, the idea of an auto-based policy for somebody who doesn't own a vehicle is really something to look into because there are some coverages in there that you're going to want for the rental cars or for the courtesy cars that you might be taking out. And I think that's something that a lot of people have, haven't really considered all of the ramifications of not actually having a land-based home might not think of. I know that was something that was kind of news to me when I first heard about it from a looper that, oh yeah, we don't own a vehicle, but we have this policy anyway to make sure that we're covered. Um, mm-hmm. And I know not all insurance companies write them, but it is something that you may want to look into. Um and then storage, as you said, Scott, friends or even, you know, commercial storage places are usually very helpful if you are keeping a vehicle that you want to come back to. The other thing that people wonder about or worried about um, is residency solutions. So, you know, there are certain things that we all have attached to our home address, like the ability to vote or to have a driver's license or things along that line. So for somebody who's truly going all in, you know, doesn't think it's for a year, thinks that they don't know when they might return to a dirt house. Um, any, you know, information you have direct knowledge of or anything you've picked up along the way that would be good ideas for that residency solution for the things that really require an address. We, we originally tried to keep our residence uh, up in Michigan and we started with a, uh, a mail forwarding service up there and, and all that. And we did have trouble with our voting uh, absentee ballots. Uh, we missed one of the elections because of that. Um, the state of Michigan just didn't quite get it. Didn't it, get guess. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, what do you mean you live on a boat? It doesn't happen in Michigan. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. After about six months, after we'd been down in Florida, we decided we were going to 
continue uh, looping at that point uh, for at least another year or so. So we became Florida residents. Um, and we went with uh, Green Cove Springs, St. Uh, Brendan's Isle. Right. Pretty well known uh, mail forwarding service. And you can use them even if you don't become a resident. They're a, a good, good option. We, we saw how our kids handled their mail. And uh, we, we know some people have friends or family just collect mail for them. We saw what they did with their mail and said, no way. <laughs> <laughs> but so I'm glad you brought up uh, St. Brendan's Isle. And there are other services like that. Um, Dakota Post out of, I think it's North Dakota. Um, NASA Postal out of the Houston area. Um, St. Brendan's Isle is probably the most well-known among voters. Um, thankfully, it's not just boaters who have this situation. So some of those services actually sprang up initially to cater to RVers who have the same kind of nomadic lifestyle needs that loopers have. Um, but so tell us a little bit more about the services that you got through St. Brendan's Isle. Well, first, um, first getting the residency, St. Brendan's Isle um, in Green Cove Springs was very seamless. They told you exactly what you needed to do. First, you register your boat. Then you get your driver's license. Then you register um, for domicile. And then you go across the street and you get your registration to vote. You can do that all in half a day. If we go to the um, DMV in Michigan, you're there half a day just renewing your license. We were surprised how easy it was. It was many steps, but it was like, okay, when you're done here, go there. And they all knew what. 411 Walnut Street was, which is the address. Oh, you're 411, fill your form out like this. I mean, so they all knew they made it very easy, didn't they? Mm -hmm. I think if you go anywhere else, it's going to be, it's going to be like, if we came here in Fort Myers, I think they would have looked at us like what? So by doing it all right there was helpful. The, the mail forwarding service, uh, what happens is your mail goes there and we get an email, have mail. <laughs> and they, they scan the envelope, uh, whatever mail you received that day. And uh, you, then you can go online and you can see what it is, who it's from. And you have options whether um, to scan it, uh, whether they'll open it up and actually scan the documents inside if you think it's something that you really need uh, right away. Um, they'll uh, send it, they'll shred it, or they'll just hang on to it until you ask them to send it forward it on. Uh, really kind of a neat, neat process. Um, the uh, Postal Service has something similar, and we haven't used it, but we've heard that they will like hold your mail and, and scan it so you can see it and set up when you want it delivered. I don't know if they do, will deliver it anywhere or just to your home address. And I think that they only scan the envelope. I don't think they give you the option to scan the whole documents like St. Brendan's Isle will actually open it, scan the whole thing, so you know whether it's important um, and whether it's something you have to get sent. You know, get jury duty, you need to know right away what, what that is and when uh, when that is so you don't miss it. Right. Um, I, so just, I agree with Scott that, you know, if I was relying on my kids solely to get my mail, I might get it like once a month. Um, so we, you know, I've converted everything I possibly can to electronic and 
auto pay, which has also cropped up and bitten me once already because I thought it was on auto pay, but wasn't. Um, so I think my credit score is dropping as I'm looping, but that's, okay. <laughs> um, but you know, my daughter's actually living in my house. Um, so thanks to mom thinking the water bill was put on auto pay, but it was not. She went without water for a couple of days when it got shut off about three months. Uh, in. Uh, um, but, you know, so she's learning from my mistake that the water bill is a really important one to pay. Um, mm-hmm. But aside from that, I have had the um, post office service, the informed delivery okay. for quite some time. And I accidentally somehow signed up for it. I think one Christmas when I was on the post office website, trying to track a package or something, but all of a sudden this email started coming every day and it's actually pretty good because that coupled with um, a young adult checking the mail, I see what's coming in and then Mm -hmm. I can say, okay, there's this letter coming from, um, you know, Berkeley County taxes this week or today, make sure you get it from the mailbox and open it up and take a picture of what is in there for me. And that's working so far. So sometimes a combination of the above and, you know, it's just easier for me to not change my address because I do have every Mm -hmm. intention of eventually making it back to that house. That could change. Um, But so from what I'm hearing and the mail forwarding through the post office does also work pretty well. If you, if nobody's in your house and you want it forwarded to a friend or a child or a relative or whoever it might be. Um, But I also have heard that that service can only last a year. So if you're not doing a, right. an actual change of address, if you're just forwarding for a time period, it may not be long enough for your entire loop. So, um, you know, changing your address to something like St. Brendan's Isle might be a good solution if you're kind of on a little bit more than a year kind of idea. Um, but, you know, it, sometimes when we talk about these things and, you know, the prescriptions we talked about, we didn't mention um, for medications that, yes, you may have to actually go physically to a place but with the apps from Walgreens or CVS or Walmart, you can pretty much order your refill wherever you're going to be. Um, mm-hmm. So compared to people who were looping, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, we actually have it super easy <laughs> for one thing. That's for um, sure. And, you know, for all the bad that came with the pandemic, a few of the lasting things is that a lot of those pharmacies deliver now. Um, you know, even Walgreens or CVS do have delivery. I haven't used it, but for, you know, if you are in a town without transportation and you're arriving and then the Walgreens will deliver your prescriptions to you, that, even better. So, um, you know, some things that might be helpful out there looping. Um, let's take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When we come back, um, we'll talk about a few more of the issues, like what to do with some of the stuff that maybe you've accumulated and you're not quite ready to get rid of the, the ever famous storage units that many of us have. So we'll be back in a moment. PropTalk is an Annapolis-based company founded in the summer of 2005 by active Chesapeake Bay boaters. The company produces PropTalk Magazine, a monthly newsprint magazine focused on Chesapeake Bay power boating and the lifestyle surrounding boating on the bay. Every issue of PropTalk is distributed at more than 850 carefully chosen and closely monitored locations throughout the Mid-Atlantic. PropTalk's coverage goes deep rather than wide, and the magazine celebrates the people, places, boats, personalities, and events that make the Chesapeake one of the world's premier boating grounds. Thanks for reading and supporting the Chesapeake Bay's Boating Magazine. We're back on Great Loop Radio. Our guests today are Scott and Karen Duvall of Capable Cruising. They are goal loopers and uh, very experienced with their own circumstances, but also with helping others kind of navigate what to do with all of the things you're leaving behind when you go all in and move aboard your boat, whether that be for 
forever um, or whether it's intended to be a shorter term undertaking. Um, Scott and Karen, all of us, you know, over our lives have accumulated quite a lot of stuff. Um, and I really, I hope people will look at disposing of their stuff very similar to they would if they were just simply downsizing a house, with, which many of us do. Um, but you mentioned you, you sold the house before you started the loop. Um, with the intention of going back to a land-based house, but a different one, a retirement home. So you were downsizing, moving onto a boat, doing all those things at once. How did you kind of um, go through the, the stuff you had accumulated over time? And how did you decide what to save and what to do with the stuff you were saving? You know, what does that process look like for somebody moving onto a boat? Well, my best advice is number one, start now. <laughs> You're going to go in a year, start now. Um, and uh, take one room at a time. Um, also, if you have children, they become very attached to their stuff if you're taking care of it. If they have to take care of it, all of a sudden you're not nearly <laughs> as attached to it. So let them know that they will be getting a box, even if they're living in an apartment, because it's like your apartment's going to be bigger than my boat. So here's your stuff. <laughs> so we did we right. did that, and it was a very good thing to have done. Um, as far as how we got rid of stuff, we we did a lot of different things. We did do a couple garage sales, and we just had so much stuff, and um, still had stuff from when the kids were little. And we're like, okay, this has just got to go. And sometimes you get families that would come in, and they would. Um, uh, really need things. So we were just like, here, take all the clothes that fit your child and mm -hmm. just spread it out. And then, but if you have a garage sale, you have to commit that everything that's left has to go to Goodwill. And so, um, or, or donate it to a church or, or whatever it is. Um, we did find it was very cathartic. And it as you, did it, you felt good about just getting rid of all the stuff. It was it was hard to start. <laughs> it's the first room that's the hardest. And then after that, you, you start getting more and more and more stuff gone. It's, mm -hmm. it, yeah, it was. Cathartic is a great word for it. Um, so garage sales, goodwill. We even traded stuff. Like Scott had a whole shop full of tools and so and woodworking tools. And we needed some help. We we're getting down to the wire of selling the house and needed some help on getting a few things done. So he's like, Hey, you want to come help me? What tool do you need? <laughs> Give him a tool and train. <laughs> that works. But most of all, just get rid of it. Right. And in the end, you know, most of us during that downsizing process, regardless of why we're downsizing, do end up with some sort of storage. Um, that's why that storage industry is just booming. Um, it is. But, and in your case, you mentioned you did have storage. What kind of stuff was it that you decided storage was the best option and then a few years later, when you decided, you know, the boat was the home, what did you do with the stuff then? <laughs> well, when it closed, that was one thing we saved. We didn't need. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good deal. Um, yeah, it's a, a furniture and, uh, yeah, just things. You still had a lot of tools and hobby things and canoes. And we still had a lot of sports stuff, too. Skis. 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 Uh, all, all stuff we thought, well, someday we take yeah. a vacation, we'll want them. And really, you're on a vacation every day. You don't need to go skiing. <laughs> well, and holding but on to some furniture and things. 
if, if you, if you had planned to go back to another home, you know, obviously holding onto some right. furniture and things mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. Um, so did you eventually sell or donate most of everything that was in storage as well? Yeah, we started with family who needs what come and get it. And, um, if you try and sell all of it, it'll take you forever. And so it was, there's a lot of young, young people and families that are just getting started that really appreciated a spare bed for their bedroom and things like that. Mm -hmm. So give, we just gave a lot of it away. Um, yeah. 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 It was uh, a lot. We still have a little bit. We have a little bit at our daughter's in her attic. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the neat thing is uh, you sell your home. They can't move in with you. Can't move back home. We've actually moved in with our daughter on occasion. <laughs> yep, there you go. But, but we, the things, things we have in her attic are things like the photo albums that, and maybe some heirloom things that I just couldn't part with, but we really whittled even a lot of those things down. Um, and but so not a lot, just a small corner in her attic that we've kept. And then well, the that, things that, we have here, stuff we just did. Go, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. The stuff we have in the storage unit here is just stuff like we maybe didn't want to store on the boat. Because of what we do, we can't have our, all our stuff in the um, guest berth. We've, we've got to keep everything cleaned off the boat. And um, I don't even know what's what's in here. Oh, there's <laughs> ladders. You have to fly somewhere. Or luggage yeah. in there. Some some ladders and tools for you know when we paint the bottom of the boat. You know, some mm -hmm. things like that. Not a lot. It's a very small unit, and we don't have a lot in there. Well, and I, I guess that that kind of dovetails pretty nicely into my next you know stuff question, and that is for the, the heirlooms or or you know valuables, whether it's a sentimental valuable or true valuable, um, you know, family is a great suggestion for that. Any other thoughts, um, you know, on some of the things that either you just can't bear to part with, or, you know, perhaps you have some nice jewelry that maybe you don't want to have a board. Um, but if, if a board is truly your home, any thoughts there? You could do a safe deposit box at a bank. Um, we do have a safe in our storage unit that we can put some things in. We do have a little safe on board the boat, you know, for the few things like our passports and cash. You know, cash that we carry with us when we're traveling, uh -huh. um, those kinds of things. We, we did find, uh, you know, this next generation doesn't want the airplanes. They don't want the China and uh, uh, silver and uh, all the stuff that you get from the generation before. Yeah, that was interesting. They didn't want it. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not quite at that point yet. <laughs> I have not offered up any of the stuff that I have that was my mom's or my grandmother's. But yeah, that's a good question. If they don't want it, then what? But um, yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. So we've, we've talked so, a lot about kind of relying on, you know, adult children or, or other family members. Um, and, and some have asked a lot of questions about, you know, really kind of keeping in touch with those people important to you family and friends. Um, and again, it, you know, digital age, it's, it's so much easier than it was even just a few years yes. ago. Um, but, you know, what are some of the tools that you use mostly to keep in touch with your, your daughter and the, the grand cows? <laughs> <laughs> the grand cows. Yeah. Um, it, it really is easy with FaceTime and uh, other video um, options and just the phone. Um, 
my dad specifically really wanted to know where we were, where, where are you staying next and kind of lived vicariously through us. And so at that time, they didn't have the Nevo uh, tracker, but we have it now. And that might be something that's really fun for the family member that really wants to know where you are. And um, my dad would explore every city we were in and he, mm-hmm. it gave him something to do. And so a Nebo tracker, I think is going to be, uh, we now have one. And I think that if my dad will really enjoy, you know, when we start keeping moving, track keeping track of us. Um, but it was not hard. No. Yeah. We, you know, people that, you know, everything from uh, uh, blogs, uh, like I said, uh, Facebook, FaceTime, um, People were sending out uh, a weekly email to their family uh, mm-hmm. and friends. You know, they'd have a group email that they'd send out once a week. Yeah. And, I and did for... a blog and a lot of the... Go ahead, Karen. Uh, I did a blog and a lot of the family members all followed it. So they kind of could know what we, what we were up to. And I think that helped that they could get some of the details. And they didn't feel like they were bugging us, calling us all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So those are all great suggestions. Um, For anyone who's not familiar with the Nebo tracker that Scott and Karen mentioned, uh, Nebo is the free app that AGLCA adopted as a way for members to find each other on the water. Um, And the tracker, which I think has actually been rebranded Nebo Link, um, but it's the same device, just kind of automates that whole process. So you can put the, the Nebo Link on your boat. And then anytime the boat moves, the GPS signal is sending in and shows where your boat is. But with your Nebo account comes a link specific to you. So family members don't have to have the Nebo app to be able to see where your boat is. You can give them that link that only shows your boat and they can use that link to see where you are. So I've given that to my mom so she can see where we are and it puts her mind at ease a little bit. But she also likes to follow along and see where we are. And um, so it's, just, it's a little bit uh, another way for the people back home besides video calling and, and all of that. And you can set up Zoom meetings with them. Um, but that, that Nebo link is kind of a neat feature for them to be able to see exactly where you are kind of on a map where they can zoom in and, and, and see your progress. So pretty easy to keep in touch these days. Um, similar to that, um, and, and this is probably where you two are expert because you welcome guests aboard frequently. <laughs> um, but is there anything that you recommend that somebody who has just moved aboard share with family and friends who are kind of non-boaters, or at least not this kind of boating, what should you share with them before they come aboard? Because everything's just a little bit different aboard. Well, first of all, we recommend soft-sided luggage or a duffel bag, something that they can roll up, especially if you don't have a place to put a big suitcase. That becomes a, a big problem right off the bat. Um, also, don't overpack. We ask them to not overpack. Whenever they're coming aboard with us, we are never going to anything super fancy. So don't bring your high heels. Um, <laughs> shorts, t-shirts, and flip-flops um, is maybe a jacket <laughs> um, is, is where, where we are usually going. However, just keep in mind what you're planning. If you're planning to do the theater or something. And then tell them very limited amount of, of that type of clothing. And just checking the weather, you know, what, what's the weather going to be like that week that, that week. they're, they're mm-hmm. going to be here. You know? um, we, once they're aboard, we have the, the big talk, the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> 
and and just explain, you know, how your your system works and how you prefer it toilet to be paper, non toilet paper, whatever you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um. We recently had uh, someone back on board that we hadn't had on for a while. We just kind of thought that, oh yeah, they know how to how it's done, and it's like, you know, we, we should have had that talk. With them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And once they do come aboard, we do do. Because we're commercial, we probably do a a little, and we're training, we do a little more of a safety review. But everybody that has somebody, any boat that has new people aboard should go through safety items like where fire extinguishers are, where the life jackets are, and the throwable in case someone goes overboard. And going over, man overboard, what happens when somebody goes overboard, and and what should you do if you witnessed it? Uh Um, And... We think it's real important that everybody knows no trash overboard um, for legalities and just other reasons um, in the head, of course. And, and yeah, we, oh, we yeah. also, a big, big discussion is what you expect them to do. Let's say when you're getting underway or arriving at a dock, if anything, you may just ask them to sit, sit and watch, you know, <laughs> um, but if, if you are going to have them help, give them a, a specific job so they know exactly what they're supposed to do and make right. sure they're comfortable with it. Um, a couple of the biggies are, you know, keeping your hands and, and feet and everything inside. Try not to, you know, push the boat off. Uh, we've heard, of, you know, everything, people getting hurt trying to push this heavy boat off to um, – leaning up against what they thought was the side of the boat happened to be a window. And when they pushed against the piling, their butt went through the window. Yes. Yeah. Those are the things you want to try to avoid. (laughs) Yes. And also just not jumping on and off the boat when the boat's moving. Um, And that's one of the, just a safety thing until the boat's secured. Yeah. Yeah. So come up with your, you know, a version of that, you know, a list. Um, maybe even sending it to them in advance uh, just so they, they know a packing list and, and some of the things that are, are going to be um, expected of them as far yeah. as, uh, you know, safety-wise. That sort of thing. Right. Okay. So one last kind of bullet point I wanted to touch on, and this is the one that's probably the most challenging because there are so many different parameters. Um, but if you are going all in and not necessarily having a physical state that you live in, um, what do you do about um, like registration issues for the boat? And I realize that's a, a really big can of worms because there's a lots, lots of things that feed into that, including, um, you know, personal property tax or usage tax, or depending on how long you've had the boat sales tax can, can fall into that. Um, but, you know, just from a very high level, knowing everybody's situation is different. Um, you know, what's your thought about most looper boats are of the size that Coast Guard documentation um, is generally done. Um, what's your thought about also having state registration, though? Um, as you, you mentioned uh, earlier, that there are states that require registration somewhere. Uh, Michigan, if you go through the Michigan waters and they stop you, they want to see registration from someplace. Someplace. Yeah. It doesn't have to be from Michigan, but they do want to see a registration Florida, if uh, you're in the state more than, I believe it is, 90 days, they want you to get an out-of-state temporary registration right. uh, to stay legal. And it's often 
called the soldier's permit, but uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's basically an out of state temporary registration and very simple to do. And there, there are other states to be aware of as you're traveling, going up the East coast, that if you're in that state too, too many days, they're going to want some kind of a tax or use tax or something like that. Right. Um, that number's typically around that 90 days. They want you out of that state within 90 days or they're going to start looking at, you're using our waterways so much that we want some money out of you. And right. so the, the key thing is where are you going to keep the boat and for how long? So if you're going to buy that boat and keep it in one place for a year before the loop, that is something you have to take into consideration about where that boat where you've paid taxes and where that boat's registered because it's going to be there. Um, the number one thing to do is your homework. There is, every state is different and you need to know if I register in this state but I've kept it somewhere else, am I gonna get stung later? It's all online, go read about your state and read about what state you're thinking of and we can't encourage you to do your homework more yeah, and that, that's really an area that, you know, I feel like a lot of people want um, a black and white answer. And there, unfortunately, there are so many different pieces that affect that from where you live or where your, you know, um, address is on record to where you bought the boat and how long ago you bought the boat to where you're cruising through. So there are so right. many moving parts that only really, as Karen said, only you can do the research specific to your own circumstance. Um, the Sojourner's Permit, Scott and Karen mentioned, um, which really isn't the technical name, but it's the name that everybody knows it as. There's lots of information in the member's knowledge base on the AGLCA website about that because it's something that came up year after year. So we started housing it there. Um, but yes, if you're going to be in the state for more than 90 days, it's a temporary out-of-state registration, so to speak. The caveat to that, though, is if you are not state registered elsewhere, they want you to get that immediately upon entering the state. So that's another one of those places where having the boat state registered somewhere, which again is different than your Coast Guard documentation, um, but for doing the loop, it really is recommended that you also have a state registration, you know, pick a state based on your tax circumstances. But uh, Scott and Karen's point also that typically on the loop, if you're on the move, you're not staying in any one state long enough to trigger like in South Carolina where I'm home ported, we have a personal property tax that is due on any boat that's been in the state waters for more than six months. Um, now, loopers don't typically spend six months in South Carolina, but right. if you find out you love Charleston and decide to winter there because it's you know above where your insurance wants you to be for hurricanes and end up staying there, it's something you should be looking at, whether it's South Carolina or anywhere else. If you're saying, hey, I like it here, let me stay here for six months, check and see if that's going to trigger any tax implications for you. Because once you hit that 90 days or six month piece, it very well could. Um, that starts to give people a little bit of heartburn if they're thinking about winter storage on the Great Lakes somewhere. Typically it doesn't count if the boat is in storage or um, it, it's something you need to talk to the yard perhaps that you're storing the boat with, you know, is this an issue? If you're not real comfortable with the answer they're giving you, take it further to somebody in the state that, you know, is in a role authoritative role that can answer that question for you. I've rarely, if ever, seen a looper boat that was winter stored trigger any kind of tax. Um, but there's probably some states that by the letter of the law, it probably could. 
Um, so again, just cover your bases, do some research on that. So, I mean, that that's kind of most of the things that we identified that if you're going all in and, and moving aboard forever or for a time period of time without a, a, a home, the things that you should be thinking about. So again, a lot of things we covered today, um, we probably had just enough time to just give you some ideas that, hey, maybe that's something I need to look into. But um, Scott and Karen, <laughs> other than like, you know, call the professionals and give these things some thought. Is there any topic or anything that you did when you moved aboard that we didn't talk about that maybe, you know, we should mention here, something that caught you by surprise or anything that you think others should know about for when they're moving aboard? No, I think uh, just the um, mail forwarding and that whole process, you know, Mm-hmm. I wish we'd have become Florida residents right away. You know, that would have been a, a much easier process yeah. or at least use that for mail porting service. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just, you know, little little tweaks. And, you know, as we travel and move, if we do, uh, it, it changes. Yeah. yeah. Also, when you move aboard your boat, expect to take half of that stuff back off the boat because you really don't need that much stuff. <laughs> you bring all your shoes and they're piled this high and you're like, when am I going to wear those? <laughs> yeah. So I'm finding, and I believe me, I've heard all of those things for years and years and years and years, but I'm, I still have done the same thing. So I have, <laughs> you know, I thought I did a good job of paring it down. I didn't bring any of my boots or my cute little booties. I just brought, you know, some tennis shoes and some sandals. And I still find there's like two or three pairs I wear all the time and the rest of them, not at all. Um, mm-hmm. So as we work our way back towards Charleston, there is absolutely some things I will be taking off this boat when we get there. <laughs> so, happens to everyone. I'm, you know, that and the bill pay thing. I think I'm making a lot of the, the first time looper mistakes already. So <laughs> there we go. It all happens. Yeah. But and, thank you, you so, know, yeah, what if, else, what else you, you have do for it us? one time, the bill pay thing, one time they're pretty understanding. It's yeah. like, it's not a big deal. Yeah. They're pretty forgiving. Pay it and yep. be done. <laughs> it happens. Yep. We just move on. <laughs> right. Anyway, so thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for sharing all of these tips because I think this is really going to help a lot of people to be a little bit ahead of that curve as they're looking towards moving aboard. So Scott and Karen Duvall of Capable Cruising, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thanks for having us, Kim. Everybody enjoy yep. their planning. Yes, Yes. enjoy. Yep, And to everyone else who's joined us, thank you for being with us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.